I believe this episode of the show fits into the category of variety show. We will talk about many things, including recent Supreme Court rulings, Kanye West running for president, we'll talk about masks and conspiracy theories, that and a lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be should begin with many thanks for all of the support and well wishes I received from you, the listener, friends, and family after I told the entire internet and my audience that I was COVID-19 infected. I am grateful for all of your feedback and again, well wishes and prayers. It was a beast, guys. I, I put out there either Tuesday or Wednesday last week that I had COVID-19 and I was actually on like day three or four and thinking, I was coming out of it. Like I was going to be just moving onward and upward from there. But I got hit with like a second round. Guys like and ladies, I had a fever of over 100, really over 100, 101 for a week long. If I didn't have it treated with acetaminophen or, or Motrin, whatever's in Motrin, I had a fairly intense fever. And so while some of the symptoms were going away by that Tuesday and Wednesday, this thing stuck with me for a full week. And when I'm coming to you right now, uh, I'm now almost a full 48 hours of no fever. My energy level is back. And uh, except for a nagging cough and some congestion, uh, like this is the only thing now that hurts. You listen to this, <gasps> that still hurts. Breathing in really deeply hurts. But I, I think I'm past it. So thanks again for all the prayers and well wishes. We'll get started with content here in just a moment. First, my name is Corey Truax. Thanks for, thank you for listening to the show on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find the podcast. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, and better talk on the show, and that's what we're about to do right now. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, and you are invited. I got an email from a listener named Elena. She and her husband have a disagreement about masks. She wants to be a family that wears masks in public when they go out and do things. He is a fairly, uh, seems to be fairly hard anti-masker. And so I had that email and I don't think I was being asked for marital advice. I was being asked for argumentative advice because that's my specialty, right? Is argumentation and which which set of points and structure of those points, which of them makes the most sense. And I am seeing all over my Twitter feed and Facebook feed memes about masks that are pro and against. I definitely see the things that start to annoy me, the, uh, the memes that make it seem those that wear a face covering in public are being controlled by the media. That kind of attitude is out there as well. And it's a, there's a, a point, not a boiling point, but where at least it's some kind of simmer of a, the cultural flashpoint around masks. And so I want to deal with that really quickly, and it will lead us into other discussions. Believe it or not, I actually have a plan. I'm not just flying by the seat of my pants here. So, <coughs> oh, there's my... Corona coming in a little bit for um, for Elena who wrote in. Here's really the the main argument I I would give to your husband is I I don't know if there's a deeper reason there's an anti mask sentiment at the very least 
hey man, this is an easy win for you to create peace in your own home. It's not hard to do this one. Just put on a mask when you go inside a place and it makes your bride happy. Do you know how hard it is to make brides happy? This is a really easy win, bro. Just put the thing on. That's not hard at all. But beyond that, there might be something a little deeper. And so to Elena, that's my argument. Uh, Of course he should, because this is an easy win in his own life. So sir, if you're listening, take the easy win. Wins are hard. So take the easy ones when they present themselves to you. I think there is... I don't, I don't quite understand it in my social media feed. Something of a rebellious and or machismo or macho response about mask wearing. Like it's a, like it's a statement about your own individuality that you, I'm not wearing a mask because this is some of the things I've seen because... I don't buy in to the media's narrative because no one can tell me what to do. Like, this is the attitude I'm hearing. And I, I, have, I have that spirit about me in most ways. I'm a liberty guy. I, again, I think of myself more as libertarian than conservative. I am against the government mandating anything, including mask wearing, by the way, even though I'm advocating people to do it on their own to make the decision, I oppose cities, counties, states, the federal government, any mask mandate, I oppose. But what I'm, what I'm seeing here is using this mask wearing as a statement about yourself, your own masculinity, it makes no sense at all. This, it is mostly men that I've seen. It's, it's some ladies I'm going to, I guess I'll sound like a jerk, but here we go. We make the argument for freedom. That's what I do here. And I hear you. I actually so identify with the idea of getting on the internet and arguing for my individuality, for my freedom to live in this world how I would, as long as it doesn't hurt others, that... I can live at my own risk. I can choose to risk my own uh, contracting of coronavirus if I want to live at that risk. Guys, I was 11 or 12 years old arguing against, I mean this, I was 11 or 12 years old passionately arguing against seatbelt laws. I uh, remember we had that debate around that time in South Carolina and I was against seatbelt laws as I am now because I, I do believe you have the right to risk your own health. But the other thing that we're supposed to argue as we argue for freedom is we are the people of personal responsibility. Be responsible for yourself. And one of the things we've learned is that you can contract this virus and give it to others. And you didn't mean to. It was an unintentional passing of germs. So, yeah, be free. Government shouldn't mandate it. But you're not making a statement about you being a sheep and you being manipulated. If you put a mask on when you walk inside, you know what you're being? A responsible adult. And does that sound demeaning or patronizing? Then I guess I'm sorry. I don't know that I'm sorry because this shouldn't be so difficult. We have, as a culture, decided 
to turn this into some political statement and cultural statement, but it shouldn't be. It's quite stupid that we've allowed it to get there. And then we get a little further, because I want to get into conspiracy world for a second. I even see the videos, not just of, uh, you're making a statement about your own independence. You're not an independent thinker. You're a sheep if you put on a mask. Despite my, my, my nature being anti-sheep, like I think I've proven that on this show, I genuinely could, could not possibly care less if the audience shrink, sh- uh, shrinks to zero as long as I said the things that I think are true. I'm not controlled by what other people think, what any group thinks. I don't, I couldn't possibly care less. It's just, a, it's just a, it's a topic where you go, oh, I could be a risk to somebody. I'd like to mitigate that risk until people have the chance to mitigate that risk themselves. So, I mean, when a vaccine comes along or something like that, people have the chance to mitigate their own risk. And so until we figured that out uh, in this very unique time, I'm going to do my own risk mitigation because I just want to be decent. I just want to love my neighbor as myself. That's the statement that's being made, or at least that's how we should see it. And if other people see you as as manipulated by the media. All right, who cares about those people? They're, you, you're going to care about folks who have that kind of intellect level? I know I'm not. I've, guys, I've actually, I've had the experience where I've had people laugh at me, mock me, but it's so clear to me that they're just morons. Like to, to even start explaining to them how wrong they are would be more effort than it is worth and more effort than I would be willing to give. And so, yeah, I'll be scoffed at and mocked by intellectual dogs. The dogs can laugh at you. I don't care. And you shouldn't care if that's the attitude. So then I go to the next level, the conspiracy level. What's happening here is they're practicing their face there. Consider that language. I saw a video. Their facial recognition system that they... Want to make sure it works only on the upper part of your face. And they want to know that all of their cameras and systems can recognize faces even covered by masks. So the entire thing, this entire global event, is some conspiracy to test a tech system. No culprit identified. Like, we don't know who the they is. They're just, they're out there. They are. Who are they? I don't know. No one really knows. They're just out there. There's they. And they're testing their system. Believe it or not, that is a video out there on the internet. And so, I want to roll that into one other conspiracy theory, but I got this email. It's becoming a flashpoint in the culture, uh, and I want to put out those principles. No, no government should mandate mask wearing. I oppose that. But hey, yeah, you, you, whoever you are, you, you pose a risk to somebody right now, so you should wear one in public until risk mitigation be- can become something everyone can do together through vaccination and through an entire entire year of understanding what this virus is and being it, it working through our uh, our populations so that me- medical systems don't get overwhelmed this is this should not be as political as it is and even though you're hearing voices on the internet that tell you your mask wearing says something about you it doesn't other than you're just trying to be a responsible adult. All right, so let's take that to conspiracy theory land because there are a lot surrounding 
COVID-19. Here's another conspiracy I have been hearing out on the internet. If you are on Twitter or Instagram, maybe some other social media sites, you've heard about the Wayfair conspiracy. I've never heard of Wayfair until this week, but it's apparently a company that sells different types of furniture on the internet, and you can order from Wayfair. The conspiracy is that Wayfair, this furniture company, is in part a shell to sell children. That, uh, here's, here's the evidence. I'm actually, I'm going to give you the evidence, let you ruminate on it. I'll come back from a break and we'll talk about it some more. But this, but guys, this is like a, a top trending thing on Twitter. This was a big thing on the internet for a few days. And smart people, like, bought into it, all right? Here's the evidence. There were some, there was some furniture on the Wayfair website that had the, it was named names of missing children. Not the full name, but things like, you know, normal names like Kelly or Amanda. That, that was the style of a given cabinet or chest of drawers or some other piece of furniture. It was named for uh, a person, a, has a human name, and there was also missing children by the same name. Also, there would be one, let's go dresser, that would be priced at like $1,000, but the same dresser by a different name was priced at $10,000. And so what are you seeing there that these two products would be, uh, would be, so differently priced, but be so similar. Isn't it obvious that they're selling children? That's the conspiracy theory. When we come back, I want to trace that down for you and work through it and debunk it because it is, as with all conspiracy theories, really unhelpful and easy to debunk. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. I don't debunk conspiracy theories for the pure point of the actual theory. It is more towards the idea of training our minds and then helping us be people to train other people's minds not to believe weird stuff they see on the internet. It's one of the more disturbing parts of the internet is there's this just ability people have to believe whatever's in their feed. I, I saw one... It was a little snarky for me. One meme, but made a good point about um, masks. We were talking about masks earlier that said, you know, the CDC and medical professionals, they all say this one thing, but this guy I know at the high school with that didn't pass biology thinks another thing. I wouldn't know who to trust. Uh, this is, and that's part of our, our issue here is we have a lack of trust in expertise. There's actually a book about this, The Death of Expertise, where there is a there's a core part of the American spirit that has grown lately about skepticism of the expert, that if they're coming from the universities or coming from the media, they deserve some skepticism. Well, that's true, deserve some skepticism, but let's, ha- let's all have that skepticism all the way around, all right? So if you're going to be skeptical of the university expert, maybe you should also be skeptical of usnews.biz, all right? Or... 
AmericanEagleNews.Facebook. Like, you should probably be skeptical of everybody and not just the expertise. You should also be skeptical of the random people on the internet. It's, it actually, it, it keeps surprising me that it is, it is often older people, older demographics, that get taken in by internet conspiracy theories. Another favorite meme of mine is when the internet started, it was our parents telling us, don't believe everything you hear on the internet. And now it's us, millennials, telling our parents, don't believe everything you see on the internet. And that should be this universal understanding of fact-checking and being skeptical of what you see. And I want to talk about one of those conspiracies that's growing on the internet right now called the Wayfair Conspiracy. We'll do that in just a moment. First, again, it's Corey Truax Show. Thank you for listening. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. Here we go. It begins with the QAnon conspiracy. If you're not familiar with it, I'll go very fast. There is a conspiracy that was started out on 4chan, 8chan, and Reddit. Those are other social media sites that... that the President of the United States, before he was president, found out and knew that there was a uh, a pedophile ring of powerful people. So politicians, Hollywood stars, that there was a large, almost cult-like organization of pedophiles. And out of the goodness of his heart um, and his stridency for sexual purity... The President of the United States ran for president to become president to secretly, not even publicly, because we know how how subtle he is, to secretly do away with the secret pedophile ring. So that's how it's, that's the the beginning. And the QAnon uh, conspiracy theory, um, that's QAnonymous. This person, there's a person who goes out and posts on 4chan, 8chan, and Reddit that he's a White House insider He's been on the inside the whole time. He's, he's nameless, he's anonymous, but he's telling you that the president's making progress on this secret cabal of politicians, Hollywood stars, international figures who are child sex abusers. Okay, so in that vein, it became a theory that Wayfair, this furniture company, was one of the conduits. They're selling children. And I already gave you some of the evidence that I don't even know how you could get over this kind of incontrovertible evidence, but let's see how we do. They have products that also have the names, get this, of people. They named some of their furniture with human names. And some of those human names correspond to the names of missing children. Now, we have the option. We have the option of knowing, oh, names are common. Like even weird names like mine, Corey, lots of those. And people use names for products. Ice cream flavors, restaurants, even movies are named after people. Names are names. And they're often used to name things. And that's going to be the easier explanation than... Secret code for missing child. So when you have the choice to, for no reason whatsoever, look at a product that's being named for a human, and you can think, oh, 
Maybe they're just naming it a human name, and I bet they're actually selling children. Probably just choose the first one uh, because it makes more sense. Number two theory. Uh, this, I don't, again, incontrovertible evidence. Sometimes there would be very high-priced furniture. Okay, well, there's two, two things I, I could think there. Man, I wonder if some furniture is just expensive. Maybe there are rich people who spend a lot of money on things that I wouldn't spend money on, like a sofa or, a, like, I don't know, a dresser. It's a possibility that they'd spend more money than I would, believe it or not. Also consider this. What if some person who does coding at the Wayfair website added a zero they weren't supposed to add? You have the choice to think, well, sometimes people buy expensive things and sometimes people make mistakes. Also, maybe they're selling children for sexual exploitation. All right, well, I'm going to tend towards the first one because it makes more sense and there's not evidence of the other. And so this is, again, I'm, I'm debunking the one conspiracy, but it's also supposed to get the mind thinking more broadly about being discerning about the things we see on the internet, whether that be a conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory about child sex exploitation or COVID-19 or whatever it is. Be skeptical of what you see and not uh, just look for things that confirm your previously held biases. All right, I told you this show was going to be a variety show, and I've got to start moving through this list, otherwise we're not going to get through probably even half of it. So let's go to this. Reggie wrote in. He asked, do you think the 2020 election coming up here in November in the United States could be something like the last election there in Britain? I think that was 2019. I think it's a good analogy if you didn't see what happened in that election, there was a very unpopular, eccentric incumbent in Boris Johnson, um, often likened to Donald Trump, even though Boris Johnson actually is a highly qualified, super intelligent guy. He's just kind of weird and bombastic and loud and not my style, but a, a really, tr truly a, a, a truly brilliant person, but comes across a lot like the president comes across here. And he was very unpopular. Ratings were very low. There was an assumption he was going to get blown out in that election. And then the, I guess that's the labor party over there, put up a guy named Jeremy, Jeremy Corbin, Corbett, something like, something like that. And Jeremy, Cor Jeremy Corbin was an almost openly anti-Semitic figure didn't seem to like Jews much, and was a radical left-winger. He, he moderated no positions. The thought was, I can go so far left because Boris Johnson is so uh, unpopular and, and I can still win. And then it ended up being a surprise, narrow victory for uh, the Conservative Party and the Labor Party D didn't come away with that very expected win. And Reggie wonders, could 2020 be like that here? I say yes if the Trump administration's uh, campaign people, if they can successfully tie Joe Biden to all the madness I talked about on the show last week, if they can tie Biden to the craziness of the left right now, the radical nature of the left, yes, absolutely. Uh, there, there could be a surprise win in November for that Trump administration. But they have to do that. 
They do have to successfully connect this doddering and mostly seemingly harmless old man. They have to connect him to the radical left because that's the, the strength of Joe Biden is he seems harmless. He's barely sentient. He's not been much of a radical. He's always been good old Joe, you know? Even he comes out and gives his big economic speech. Half of it sounds like Donald Trump's trade policy. It's tariffs and, quote, fair trade. I would just, I call that non-free trade. It's highly regulated trade. So, and he didn't even talk about tax increases, which is typically the Democrat go-to. And here's how we're going to raise taxes and on whom. And so he seems harmless, even though the movement behind him is quite harmful. So much so that if, if Biden is bold enough to not choose an insane person as VP, like he, he doesn't care to uh, satiate the Bernie Sanders wing if he chooses a non-crazy left-winger VP, then it's, it's going to be hard to tie Biden to the insanity of the modern American left. But to Reggie's question, yes, there, um, there can be a surprise like there was in 2020 if the Trump campaign can tie Biden to the craziness of the left like Jeremy Corbyn did that with the Labor Party in Britain. Here's the consequent, uh, excuse me, the election I'm, I most compare this one to when it comes to the stakes and the consequences. This election is most like the 2010 election. I know a lot of you are not political nerds, but there, there is some fun here to look back in history. So let me walk you back. 10 years ago, uh, I guess I would have been working at Southern Wesleyan University. Uh, we were Everyone just think for a second ago, 10 years ago, where you were in life and how, how crazy things change in 10 years. And in 2010, what had just happened in, uh, that would have been March 23rd, 2010, Obamacare was signed into law. I remember that day because I was so, I was so upset by it, angered by it. It's such a terrible program and so expensive for, for so little benefit. And so that was six months before the election. And it started to, uh, we started to see if the effects of what it was going to do to Democrats in 2010. Uh, because just before that, um, Ted Kennedy's seat uh, and, and in Massachusetts had gotten taken by a Republican, Scott Brown. Uh, then there was another special election, I cannot remember where, that an unexpected, oh no, no, it was a, the, tw- the 2000 nine governor's elections in New Jersey. That's where Chris Christie came into uh, into prominence. And there was uh, the one in Virginia as well, the Republican governor there. I think his name was McConnell uh, or McDonald. It was McDonald, that's it. And that was all during the Obamacare debate. And then it actually still happened in March, 2010. And there was going to be an uprising and an, an anger vote. And it happened. That, if you don't remember, in November of 2010, Republicans crushed Democrats. It was historic. I actually think when you added it all up, congressional seats, senatorial seats, governor's mansions, and state legislatures, so the legislatures that meet in the capital of each state, it was well over a thousand wins. Over a thousand elections went to Republicans, and it was an historic drubbing, just a beating. And it was, I argued, the most important win, even though it wasn't a presidential election, because it was 2010. It was a census year, and therefore, 
the 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 people who were inaugurated January 2011 in the state houses all over the country got to redraw the maps and Republicans did redraw the maps in those states to where even though Barack Obama won a, a decent victory in 2012, it wasn't enough to win back the House because of the way Republicans were effectively with, they with excuse me, they drew those lines. And so 2020, I think under the surface, we're, we're missing a, a very significant thing that whatever happens in the presidential race, there is a, a map to get drawn coming up here soon. The census is going to redraw the congressional maps. There will be states, just like in 2010, that lose congressional seats. It's, it's not unlikely that states like New York or Connecticut and maybe even Massachusetts, the Northeast who keeps losing people, they lose some of their seats in states like we did. South Carolina gained a congressional seat in the 2010 census. With the growth rate of North Carolina or Georgia, I wouldn't be surprised if or Tennessee gets another congressional seat. But if, if the census counts it out that way, again, state legislatures have to draw those lines. And so even for people like me, who don't care about this presidential race because it's just so horrific, involvement and uh, really plugging in to the other races really is important because the 2020 election is going to set the maps going for the next decade, and that changes everything. Uh, next up, uh, I want to go here. Don Lemon from CNN, he had on Terry Crews. Crews is an actor, a very funny guy. Uh, I'm not actually going to play you any of the Terry Crews audio. Uh, I want to play for you something Don Lemon said to Terry Crews on the show. Uh, Crews was on the show primarily because he had put out into the Twitter world, I guess it's important if you don't know Terry Crews is a black actor, that he he was advocating for Black Lives Matter applying to all situations, including black-on-black crime in major cities, because that's the, the primary way. If, if a black person is going to die in America violently, it's not actually technically, it's not going to be police more likely, it's going to be likely some black person that kills that black person. Same, per, same, by the way, for every race. If you're white, you're more likely to be killed by a white person. Hispanic people, more by, more by Hispanic people. None of that should be surprising. But Don Lemon and a lot of folks on the Black Lives Matter movement were not happy with Terry Crews for saying that Black Lives Matter should encompass even black-on-black -black crime and violence. So I want to play this for you from Don Lemon and then respond to it. And here's the theme of the next section of the show. The next section of the show is themed, words should mean things, or words have definitions, and we should abide by the definitions of words. So in that theme, here is Don Lemon from CNN. I have to say, um, the Black Lives Matter movement was started because it was talking about police brutality. If you want an all Black Lives Matter movement that talks about gun violence in communities, including you know black communities, then start that movement with that name. But that's not what Black Lives Matter is about. It's not an all-encompassing. So if you're talking about, um, if, if someone started a movement that said, uh, cancer matters, and then someone comes in and says, why aren't you talking about HIV? It's not the same thing. We're talking about cancer. So the Black Lives Matter movement is about police brutality and injustice in that manner, not about what's happening in black neighborhoods. If you, there are people who are working on that issue, all right, I gotta jump in there, but you got the point. 
I've never heard someone say it quite so clearly. And here's why that's frustrating. Well, that's not what the sentence means. So the sentence Black Lives Matter should mean culturally and in policy, we, we want to uphold the truth that black people matter, have value, uh, made in the image of God and under the law have value, and our policy and attitude should reflect that. And Don Lemon would say to me, nope, that's not what it means. It means police brutality. So when we say Black Lives Matter, are only talking about what happens to black people during uh, situations with the criminal justice system. And Which, by the way, I'm, I'm on board. We, I, I have talked about this with clarity. We've got a major problem with the criminal justice system under trained, under qualified cops, and it affects black people disproportionately. I'm totally on board. But we have the sentence, Black Lives Matter, and it doesn't apparently mean what it says. And that's the frustrating part to me. Because then it, it leads to needless confusion and argumentation where you don't get what you want. Example, people that are already given to, what's a good word? To resent. To resent Black Lives Matter as saying only black, only black Lives Matter, or the ones that want to say all lives matter, they already resent this specification of Black Lives Matter. I think that's a, it's a bad resentment, but there's people that resent it. Well, then news does come out over a 4th, 4th of July weekend where dozens and dozens of black people are killed by other black people, even in children are killed by black people, and that resentful group goes, well, does this, does this matter too? And they, by the way, those people, even though their their resentment is unfounded regarding Black Lives Matter as a statement, they actually have a very good question there. Do you actually consistently believe Black Lives Matter? And Don Lemon would say, no, we're not talking about that. No. Well, then you need to stop saying those words because you don't believe them. If all you're trying to say is we have a police brutality problem and it's particularly affects black people, then say that. Then don't say Black Lives Matter because you don't mean it. it it's what Don Lemon said there to, uh, to uh, Terry Crews is if you want to start that movement, have an all Black Lives Matter movement that includes other stuff. That's what, the, it means the same thing. Black Lives Matter and all Black Lives Matter, all those words denotatively, those sentences, that, that means the same thing. And so this is a theme I have. I, there's a bunch of people out there that want stuff that I want them to get and they won't use the words to get it. It's like they don't really want it. That's how I felt about defund the police. I'll go fast through that. But the folks who were saying defund the police didn't mean it. They didn't mean defund the police. They meant a bunch of other stuff that was actually good ideas, but they didn't say the thing they wanted. And so they end up not getting a lot of what they want. And so under the theme... Words should mean things, and we should abide by their definitions. Why? For good order, and because we're more likely to get progress on the things that we want if we will communicate clearly. When we come back, I want to talk about schools reopening this fall, a couple Supreme Court rulings, Kanye West running for president, and a lot more. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show.
welcome in for the final segment of the Core Trio Act Show. Thank you for sticking with us on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9, or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you for listening and sharing the show wherever you, whenever you can and wherever you do. One of the hot topics in the culture right now is schools reopening this fall. This is not, it does not help that we have turned it, as we do with all things, political. And by political, that basically just means now, uh, what's your stance on the president? Because if he said it, you're, there's a group that just, I don't like it. He said it. I think it's bad. And then there's a group that, uh, he said it. I love it. It's the most brilliant thing that's ever been said. And then there's a lot of us that are just rational human beings that go, oh, I wonder if that could be good or bad. Let's look at the uh, the pros and the cons and let's, let's do some analysis. So I'm going to be that guy and just do some analysis. I would start here. What's our primary concern when we're thinking about reopening schools? I don't know if we, we can do single-factor analysis because my immediate idea is actually the kids. What's the best thing for the kids? That's the point of an educational system. An educational system does not exist to serve teachers. It does not exist to serve administrators. It doesn't even uh, exist to serve parents. It exists to serve children. That's the point of a school system. So when we're deciding what to do with the school system, I want to know what would be best for kids. All right, so my first analysis is, well, we have a lot of data that says it's best for kids to be in a classroom. It's best for kids to have instruction in person. It's better for kids to, at least at large, there's definitely exceptions to some of the stuff I'm saying and some of the data that we have that kids who are at least accustomed to uh, group settings and social settings of that sort, that they, they benefit from it. And then all the school activities benefit from being involved in their marching band, athletic teams, dramatic, uh, uh, dr- what are those called? Uh, plays and things. So uh, there's benefit to all of that. <clears throat> now, we can't do single-factor analysis, though. Yes, kids benefit from going to school, no question. But we're also in a global pandemic. Is there another consideration that outweighs that positive? And so then we have to look at the idea of uh, the risk. What's our public health risk? How do we measure public health against the good of the children? I would start here. If, if again, we're thinking of the educational system, the educational structure as a question of how it serves kids, we should recognize that COVID-19 does not seem to be a risk to children. It is, an, I mean, statistically, it is the case that the regular seasonal flu does kill more children than COVID-19. If you infect it, do it this way, infect a thousand seven-year-olds with COVID-19 and then infect a thousand seven-year-olds with seasonal flu, it's more likely that one of the seven-year-olds will die with seasonal flu than COVID-19. We don't, Really know why yet, but there is a, uh, this this virus is a discriminator of age. The older you get, the more deadly it is, the younger you are. It seems to be even non, even less symptomatic uh, that you are. So it, doesn't, it does not seem to be an issue for children. Then again, we, we do have teachers. We do have the recognition that kids have no ability to socially distance, have the discipline to wear a mask, so if if COVID-19 is in a school, they're all going to share it. 
even if they're all non-symptomatic, I, I think I'm not overplaying that to say if there's a school with COVID-19, essentially every kid is going to get it from the other kids because that's how kids are. That's how they interact with each other, which means they can take the disease home. They can take the virus home to more vulnerable people. All right, so we consider that risk, taking the virus home, as one of the public health risks. So educating kids is good. Then we have the risk of public health. Can we balance the two? So my answer to this is let localities decide. Don't have any federal government direction, maybe some guidance. Like if, if you decide to meet, here are some public health guidance or requirements for you. Uh, but we, we definitely don't need the federal government trying to mandate that every part of the country handle reopening schools the same. Big, uh, big, theme, big theme of policymaking, the, on my show at least, the way I've said it for a long time, is having the same policy for Bismarck, North Dakota, as San Francisco, California is stupid. There's no reason we should ever do that. Dallas, Texas, and Greenville, South Carolina aren't the same place. We don't make the same policies. In particular, in schools where we have different populations and different sizes and all that stuff. So number one principle for schools reopening, let's let the locals decide. From there, I have heard some very interesting ideas. There is a school district in Pennsylvania with this idea they're thinking about uh, having all their very young teachers, they, I think they said 25 and under, or the ones right out of college, they're only in their first couple years of teaching, that they are the only ones coming in. And then the more seasoned teachers or those who are immunocompromised, they are the ones that video in. So they'll video in and do some lessons, but and they're still getting paid full time. They're still, I guess, grading things and doing teacher jobs, but they're not coming in because they're older or otherwise compromised, but you send the young ones in because again, at 25 years old, that's, what am, what am I now? 33? Yeah. Those folks are eight years younger than I am. Uh, and I fared okay with it. They're going to fare even better. And so even that kind of hybrid, interesting. And other people, other administrators, principals, will come up with creative solutions to get us back to school. And then some, some administrators are going to come up with the idea that no one's coming back or uh, only... As I've heard other people doing, uh, we're, some of you are going to come to school on Monday, Wednesday. Some of you are coming on Tuesday, Thursday. We're not going to be open on Friday so that we can spread everyone out. There will be hybrid solutions everywhere. I think where I am, uh, Greenville County, South Carolina, people are being given the option to have their kids schooled in place, on, on ground in the classroom, or from home uh, digitally. That's fine too. So I am very much pro schools reopening, but then I am for a lot of freedom for localities to do it however they find wise. And then we need to have a bunch of grace for those administrators and decision makers because that stuff's hard, guys. Those are hard decisions to make, but let's do what we can to reopen schools in the fall. That's my that's my take. And if you have responses to that, uh, you can write into the show. Uh, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, or you can find me on any of the social media sites. Look for me, Corey Truax. Next up, Kanye West is running for president, or at least he says so. He's not really. Like, um, to, it's one thing to say it or declare it. 
it's another to pay the money to get your name on the ballot and actually go have uh, a campaign and buy the ads and all that stuff. He's not really running for president, but he says he is. And it's fun, guys. This is the exact political system we earned and deserved. Like we, we elected a, you know, we elected a, a, a star. Uh, what they call that? Um, when you do reality, reality TV. We we elected a reality TV star, and uh, I'll go ahead and make the argument. It'll make some of you uncomfortable. That's sort of what we did with Barack Obama too. He wasn't really a politician. He was a media figure, and he, I think he I think he did it on purpose. He broke out of politician mold and became a fixture on late-night television. He became a fixture then on daytime television with all the talk shows in the morning, and now everyone's following his model, but he kind of he broke that model. He came out of politician and became media figure, and we worship media figures, and he became a phenomenon, and now we have another media figure as, as president. The next logical thing is a Kardashian. It just happens to be someone who married into the Kardashians. And if it happens to be Kanye, that's the first Kardashian to be president, shouldn't we all just feel fortunate that it wasn't Courtney or Kim or one of the other ones? We get to, if we're going to have a Kardashian, might as well be Kanye West. But for real, if I can stop being uh, fortuitous about the, uh, the prospect of him running, <coughs> we, I can't for a second pretend that he's underqualified compared to recent presidents. I think he's... I think he's kind of crazy. I also think there's been a, a change in his life. I I hope that that was genuine. We even covered his new album. But here's uh, some political science for you from me on, on Kanye. I first just find it fun. I find it fun because our elections are mockeries anyway. This further illustrates how, of, how much of our system is a mockery and should be shamed and made fun of. So I have fun with it. But then there's some actual analysis. Uh, this will make some of you uncomfortable, but who cares? It's true. <coughs> um, there's my hair goes Corona again. Um, the Democratic Party, when they do well, when they win elections, here's where this is one of their baseline beginnings. Of all of African American or Black voters that show up, we are going to win 95% of them, and we never have to try. We don't have to do a thing. We don't have to have to accomplish a thing. When a Democrat is on the ballot, that Democrat is getting 90 to 95% of the black vote, and we didn't do anything to earn it. So Democrats live in that world. And as I've illustrated before through the math, that if Republicans were ever able to win about 30 or 35% of the African-American vote, Democrats never win an election again. They don't win an election anywhere ever again if Republicans were able to just break in that much to the black vote in the United States of America. But Democrats have effectively locked that down. If there was a third party type candidate to come along that would save it for Trump, it would be a guy like Kanye West. Because that's that that would be his voting block. He would pull vote either black voters who would have otherwise not voted at all uh, that Joe Biden needs would get pull, pulled to Kanye. Or there would be a, enough of black voters who, were, who would vote for Biden that might vote for Kanye. That's likely the case. And that, that could save it for Trump. But again, I don't think the guy's actually running or his name's ever going to be on the ballot. <clears throat> I think it should 
be instructive for all of us that he has an album coming out in the coming months and that's probably what he's doing is he's just drumming up publicity. Uh, last thing I think for today, I, I am still getting so upset with our media and how they are doing coronavirus coverage. Again, every day reporting the wrong thing. Every day. Uh, I saw one this week. Florida, uh, what is it? Florida reports 15,000 cases in a day. Brand new record. Yeah, I know, guys. We're, we're just going to keep breaking records. That's not important. It is not important that we're breaking infection records. Because of that 15,000 new, new cases, what if 14,999 of them not just live, what if all 15,000 live, which is not impossible, that, you know, uh, because the, the rate of death just keeps going down. We need to know other things. And so there's this an obvious agenda to media right now. And I mean, I, I don't mind saying this because I think I have political credibility in that I don't like any politicians. I don't care about this president. I actively dislike him. But it is obvious that we have a, a media that is interested in damaging him and so whatever news can be made salacious that they think could damage any Republican anywhere, that's how they report it. And so we're not getting important information when we really do need it. We actually do need important information right now during a pandemic. And instead, we're getting politically motivated information. And it's not helping anybody. That's the kind of headlines that we're seeing is Disney Disney World reopens parks despite new new numbers. You know, you, you think Disney doesn't know that? You don't think they have mitigation plans? That we're trying to do a hard thing here, but a necessary thing. Live life, reopen, have a society, because shutting everything down isn't an option, but then trying to mitigate the risk as it happens. And this media coverage is just killing me. We are out of time. I, I want to get back into the Calvinism thing here soon because I got a lot of response to that. We might revisit that next week or in a bonus episode, so stay tuned to the podcast feed. We'll be back with another, another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.